Amen. Thank you for, thank you for the good singing. Thank God for the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. A great uh, Trinity. I think we who believe Scripture don't realize how many folks who claim to believe Scripture uh, do not recognize the Trinity. But we thank God for God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. All three in one. We bless Him and thank Him. I invite you to take your copy of God's Word this morning and go with us to Matthew's Gospel, chapter number 13. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 13. And then we're going to read from Acts 17 in just a moment, verse 20, starting at verse 24. Lord willing, I want to finish up the 13th chapter of Matthew and... Then probably sometime in August, Lord willing, a couple messages, several things that I want to uh, preach to the church and present to the church from some other passages. We'll be doing that, Lord willing, on Sunday morning sometime probably mid, mid or late August and then be returning back and pick up in Matthew 14. So I ask you to be praying about that and ask God to guide us and help us Uh, help us there. This morning I want to begin reading in Matthew 13 verse number 47. We'll read verse number 47 through verse number 50. This is the 103rd in a series of messages from the Gospel of Matthew. And then after I read the text uh, we will go to Acts chapter number 17 and I have a few verses I want to read there in verse number beginning in verse 24. But Matthew's Gospel, chapter 13, follow with us, beginning at verse number 47. The Bible said again, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a net that was cast into the sea and gathered of every kind, which, when it was full, they drew to shore and sat down and gathered the good into vessels but cast the bad away. So shall it be at the end of the world. The angels shall come forth and sever the wicked from among the just and shall cast them into the furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. If you will turn with me to Acts 17 and we're going to begin reading in verse 24. The text that we're about to read comes from the preaching of the Apostle Paul to the people in Athens. And what you're going to hear in this passage is compared to what our Lord just said in the parable of the dragnet that we'll look at in just a moment. Paul is going to tell those listening to him that God has set a day when He will judge the world and justice will come by the man that He hath chosen, which is Jesus Christ. And that is what Jesus is saying in the parable of the dragnet, is there's coming a day of separation and a day of judgment. Follow with me in Acts 17, verse number 24, as we hear the words of Paul as he preached at Athens. God hath made the world and all things therein, seeing that He is Lord of heaven and earth, 
dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshipped with men's hands, as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things, and hath made of one blood all nations of men, for to dwell on all the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed, and the bounds of their habitation, that they should seek the Lord, if happily they might feel after Him, and find Him, though He be not far from every one of us. For in Him we live, and move, and have our being, as certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also His offspring. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone, graven by art and man's device. And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. And then verse 31, Because He hath appointed a day in the which He will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom He hath ordained, whereof He hath given assurance unto all men, in that He hath raised Him from the dead. With that read, we come back to this parable of our Lord in Matthew 13, verse number 47 through 50, called the parable of the net, or more commonly, the parable of the dragnet. I want us to look at this parable from two perspectives this morning. Number one, we'll look briefly at the comparison of this net to the kingdom of God or of heaven. And then we'll look at the explanation of this parable by our Lord in the text. First of all, in verse 47 of Matthew 13, the comparison of the dragnet to the kingdom. Jesus said in familiar terms, again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto, that's words of comparison. He is comparing the kingdom of heaven unto a net that was cast into the sea and gathered of every kind. So in the words, the kingdom of heaven is like unto, Jesus is comparing the kingdom in its arrival and in its activity to another common understandable event in the life of these disciples and in the life of the world. He said it's like unto a net that was cast into the sea. He's comparing the kingdom of heaven to fishing with a net. That would have been very familiar to the disciples and to those followers of our Lord to whom He is speaking. The, the fishing with a net here is either an individual fishing with an individual net, but it is, as we understand the word net here, referring to the dragnet, a very familiar and personal activity of the disciples. If you remember, on one occasion they were fishing like that with the net, and the Lord gave them a miraculous draw to fish, and the net actually break. That story is recorded, I believe, in Luke's Gospel. But this net that Jesus mentions in this parable was a large fishing net. It required more than one man. It required a team, maybe a half a dozen or a dozen men, enabled to fish with this type of a net. It covered an area as 
wide, many times as much as a half a square mile, where the net would be located maybe on one boat, and then all the way over would be another boat, and this boat would stay stationary, and the, and the dragnet boat would just come around to where everything in the way of the net was caught in the net until they could bring it to shore and separate it. That's the type of fishing that Jesus is talking about here in this story. And you can imagine that fishing like that, you would catch everything imaginable in that net. You would catch fish that were edible, fish that were not edible. You would catch fish that should be kept and fish that should be thrown aside. So the picture of the parable right from the very beginning is one of separation and one of judgment. He goes on to talk about when these fish are brought to the shore after the nets are full, that uh, they set down, and that's where they separate the good from the bad, and they separate the fish that are able to be kept and those that must be discarded. So this parable is just saturated with the thought of separation and judgment. Fast forward in your mind again to Athens where Paul is preaching the Word of God. And he says to that very elite group of Athenian people and those that had attempted to make their own gods, he is saying to them that God has appointed a day, a day of separation and a day of judgment. He is saying that God will separate and God will judge. And He has given that judgment unto the one that He has ordained and chosen, and that is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. So the parable of the dragnet in Matthew 13, 47 through 50, is one of separation and judgment. And there in verse number 47, he is comparing that to the kingdom of heaven. What is the kingdom of heaven? As I've mentioned repeatedly throughout this series of messages, this uh, kingdom of heaven theme is, is kindly the organizing theme of the entire Gospel of Matthew. It kindly revolves around Christ and His kingdom. In the early chapters, the king is born. The king comes into the world. And the king has a kingdom. And the kingdom can only be entered by repentance. That's what John has preached. Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And John has introduced the king as the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. We're talking about our Lord's heavenly rule. It has now been extended to earth through the person of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And the requirement for entrance into His kingdom was and is and shall forever be repentance of unbelief and sin and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't waltz up and enter the kingdom of heaven on your own merits. There is no entrance to God's kingdom outside the regenerating power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, as He took His disciples aside, He wanted them to understand in a more full and deeper and richer way exactly what the kingdom of heaven was. So He uses these parables. He compares it to the different things we've studied. The grain of mustard seed and the kingdom of heaven is like leaven and the kingdom of, of heaven is like a treasure and a, and a pearl of great price. He has used different, different illustrations and different realities to describe to His disciples exactly what the kingdom is. Now He's telling them 
He has told them before that the kingdom is like the tares in the wheat. He has told them that they will have to live in a kingdom where there is both wheat and tares, where there's both good and evil, where there's both righteousness and unrighteousness. He has told them it's not your job to separate that in this world, but He has told them there's coming a day when He will separate the tares from the wheat. Now again, in Matthew 13, 48 and 49, He is telling them about this dragnet. He gives the comparison in verse 47. Now listen to the explanation. He says in verse 48, which, meaning this net that was in the sea and gathered every kind of fish possible, when that was full, Jesus said, the story He's telling is, they would draw that net to shore, which was the way they did it, and then they would sit down and gathered the good into vessels and cast the bad away. And then He says this in explanation. This is the way it's going to be at the end of the age. This is the way it's going to be when everything is ready and everything has come to completion. He is saying the angels will be dispatched from glory and they will come and they will take the wicked just like the fishermen took the bad fish and cast them aside. The angels will come and they will take the wicked from among the just. And they will cast them into the furnace of fire, and they'll be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Jesus is talking about a separation, and He's talking about a judgment. Listen to our Lord's explanation about this parable. First of all, in verse number 48, there is a coming day of separation. That's the main point of this parable, is there's coming a separation and a judgment day. It is similar to our Lord's parable that we studied earlier about the tares and the weeds. It is similar to what we will study in the future, Lord willing, in Matthew 25, 32, and 33, when our Lord talks about the separation of the nations. He says this, And before Him shall be gathered all nations, and He shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats, and he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Occasionally someone will ask me, Preacher, what's, uh, what's the future of America? And I tell them the future of America is to be judged by Almighty God. That's the future of America. I don't know what lies between then and uh, now and then, but all nations, all nations will be judged, and there will be a separation, and there will be a division, and there will be a judgment. So Jesus has already said to us in the parable of the wheat and the tares that there's coming a separation day. We don't do that. He does that. He tells us that later on in Matthew 25 that He will separate the nations. He tells us that in Scripture. And here in this parable this morning, He is telling His disciples and us and reminding us that we will not always live in a mixed environment. We will not always live like tares among wheat. We will not always live with evil among righteousness and, and corruption and wickedness among the just. Those days will come to an end. But it will be our Lord that will bring that to pass. While this parable should be frightening and sobering, and I think I could just suggest, having preached nearly five decades now, that you probably would have had a more frightening response and sobering response 30 or 40 years ago to a message like this than you will today. Most folks will hear you, they will listen to you, 
and they'll get up and go home and eat lunch and never think about the judgment day of God again. Never think about it again. It's rarely mentioned. When's the last time you've been to a funeral and heard anyone mention hell? Or heard anyone mention judgment and standing before God? It's something that is just dismissed because we're of this opinion that uh, we're just right with God and everything's going to go over just the way we have it planned. Jesus teaches us differently. This parable should be frightening and sobering to both the just and the unjust because there is a day of judgment ahead for everyone. But this parable should also be an encouragement to God's children for this is a promise to us who are saved by God's grace. This mixed condition of evil and righteousness, this mixed condition in which we live today, thank God it will not go on forever. There will be a day when unrighteousness and wickedness will be judged and will be dealt with and God will take care of it and we will be separated from it forever and ever in the presence of Almighty God. So it carries with it a note of encouragement as well. This mixed condition in which we live is only temporary. I know we think about the world in which we live and how wicked and how evil things really are. Well, things have always been wicked, and things have always been evil. I think in our culture, in our generation, we are more exposed to a lot of things than what we have been previously. I know I, know I am. When I was growing up as a boy, I really thought there were only two roads in the world, my dirt road, Core Road, and Highway 115 that went into Statesville. As far as till I went to school, I didn't know there were other roads. My whole world revolved around my grandpa's farm, and that was basically as far as I thought. Boy, that's not the way it is now, is it? I mean, even our children, they're, they're already exposed to a world system that most of us never knew existed till we were in our young years, in our 20s and 30s. Evil has always been here. But thank God there's coming a day of separation and a day of judgment in which God will separate all of that. He will handle it righteously and He will handle it justly. Matthew 3, 11 and 12, John the Baptist said, I indeed baptize you with water under repentance. He said, But he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now listen to John's words. Whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. John was preaching it before Jesus ever got here. And Jesus preached it. And the apostles preached it. And God help us to preach it as well. There's still coming a day of separation and a day of judgment. In fact... This principle of separation runs throughout the entire Word of God. Let me take you on an aerial view for just a moment, a quick aerial trip, and we'll first fly over the book of Genesis, if you will. If you go to the book of Genesis, if you were flying over the book of Genesis and look down, the first thing you would see would be a God who separates. The first thing our God did, He separated what? Light from darkness. He separated that and gave us the day. He took us out of darkness and separated light from darkness. God wanted His people separate from all other nations. So He chose Abraham. He said in Deuteronomy 7, 6, if we fly over the middle part of Genesis and on into the book of Exodus, 
you will see that God has chosen a people out of all the peoples on the face of the earth. God separated Abraham and his descendants from all other people. Deuteronomy 7, 6, For thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself above all people that are upon the face of the earth. Later on in Genesis as, and Exodus, as we fly over the book of Exodus, we see that God separates His people again. He separates them from the Egyptians and all other nations and puts them in bondage and then brings them out of that bondage. If you fly over into the book of Leviticus and fly over Numbers and Deuteronomy and look down, you will see the principle of separation again. God separates His people in Leviticus. He separates their daily living. He separates their diet. He separates everything about them from the world that is around them. And you can fly all the way over every book in the Old Testament and see the principle of separation. You can also go to the New Testament, and for time's sake, I'll not go into all of it. Just mention this particular one. Paul told the Corinthian believers this. Listen to the Scripture. And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. Wherefore, or because of that truth, come out from among them. And be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. And I will receive you. I'll be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. 2 Corinthians 6, 16 through 18. You see, the principle of separation has always been in the Scripture. But there is coming a separation. There is coming a day of separation. Just like the fishermen, when the net is full and they bring the fish to the shore, and they sit down in judgment and separation, and they cast the good ones this way and the bad ones that way, there is coming a day of spiritual separation in which Jesus Christ Himself will separate the wicked from the righteous. He will separate the evil from the, those who have been redeemed and saved by His grace. If you're justified freely by God's grace, if you have been saved by His marvelous grace, this is a promise, this is a rejoicing in part for you. But if you're listening to my voice this morning unsaved, unprepared to meet God, understand this parable that there is coming a day of eternal separation. This message is carried on in 1 John 1, 5. This then is the message which we have heard of Him, John said, and we declare it unto you that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. I was, I was really amazed as I look back this week at some of the authors and writers that I've read after over the years who started out pretty, pretty straight on this thing of separation and judgment who over the years have kind of embraced a annihilation theory about, about death and about uh, the end time and about when we stand before God. There are, there are some who believe that you know, that God will punish for a while and then uh, He's just such a God of love that He will eventually say, I, you know, I'm, I'm going to just let you come out of this. Or that at the end of the age, He'll just annihilate people that are not truly saved. Uh, all of that may be something for a man to ponder in his, in his depraved mind, but in the Word of God, there's no such thing hinted. 
The separation and the judgment are eternal, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But there's coming a day of separation. Secondly, in verse 49, that's to be followed by a day of judgment. Notice the net. Notice the net uh, that's mentioned in verse 47, and again in verse 48, and again in verse 49. Not mentioned specifically, but referred to. The net in verse 47 is cast out into the sea. And as that net comes around that big swoop over a period of time, it is taking and catching within it every kind of fish imaginable. And then that net gets full in verse 48. The boat can sense it, the boat can feel it, and the, and the disciples or the fishermen, they know, and so they bring it to shore, and they sit down and they separate. And then comes the judgment. So shall it be at the end of the world. The angels will come forth. Not fishermen, but angels dispatched by God will come forth and they will sever. They will sever is the word used in the King James, a powerful word, sever the wicked from among the just. Now notice this net originally catches every kind, every sort is what that's talking about. Every kind of fish. Kind comes from the word kindred. It means a little bit of everything. There are white fish in this net. There are black fish. There are educated fish. There's ignorant fish. Large fish, small fish. Rich fish, poor fish. Now hopefully you're catching my analogy here and you don't literally think, okay. There's conservative and liberal fish. You say, how do you know the difference in them? The conservative fish pays the taxes. I guess that's the one Jesus got his out of. But I mean, that's just the way it is. Democrat fish, Republican fish, I know this is going to hurt, northern fish and southern fish are in the net. Hispanic fish, German fish, Middle Eastern fish, Russian fish, healthy fish, sick fish, and I could go on. Jesus said in the parable that this net gathered of, what did it say in the text? Every kind. It's picking up something from everything as this net goes through the water. But at the end of the age, everything caught in this, everything that looks like it's a part of the kingdom, everything that would appear to be edible as a fish, when it goes through the judgment and the separation, it does not meet the qualifications, and therefore it is cast aside. Now there are some who read this and say, well, I never liked God anyway. I never liked church anyway. The only reason I came was because mom and dad made me come. I've never, I've never really grasped onto this anyway. I believe there's a God, but I never bought into to that one-way salvation and that Jesus is the only way stuff, preacher. And I didn't want to be rude to my mom and dad or my grandparents. And I, did, you know, I didn't want to be an atheist or anything, but I just never, never really bought into all of that. So... Uh, you know, it'd be fine with me if I don't believe. And at the end of the age, if, if God just cast me away from Him because I never really wanted to be with Him anyway. Well, that's not how this plays out, friend. You're not just cast aside. You are cast into hell, into torment, where there is wailing and gnashing of teeth. Some of you may remember several years ago, and I... I saw recently where I think this is being replayed again on public service advertisements. Some of you may remember, son of former president Ronald Reagan. His name is Ron Reagan. Some of you remember 
several years back in one of the campaigns before the debates was aired to the presidential candidates, he made the statement that he was an atheist, he claims to be an atheist, and that he was not afraid to go to hell. He made that statement. You can Google that and you can pull up the very dates and times in which he said that. Uh, it, I hope since he said that, that he's a believer, but I've seen no evidence of that. But he said it very arrogantly and said it very educationally that he was not afraid to go to hell, coming from what he believes is an atheistic belief. There, are, there is no such thing as atheists. There are what the Bible describes as fools in Psalm, I think, 14.1. The fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. But he made that statement. That's kind of how the world thinks. You folks who believe in God, you Bible bangers, you, you people who have lived your whole life for this man called Jesus, and you say He satisfies you and makes you happy and blesses you, He saved you, then go ahead, that's okay for you, but I choose not to do that. And at the end of the age, and at the end of the day, and when everything comes down to it, I'll die and I'll go nowhere, or I'll just be annihilated, and you go on to what you believe and everything will be happy. That's not the way that it plays out. There's coming a day of judgment. Hear me, God is no respecter of person in salvation, and God is no respecter of person in damnation. I had a preacher come up to me one time and said, you said when you was preaching that God would send you to hell. He said, I was a young preacher, he said, you shouldn't say that. You should say that man sends himself to hell. Well, I went back and went, to, went into my pastor, Brother Fox, and I told him, I was a young preacher, I said, told him what I said, and I told him what the man told me. And Brother Rule said, why did you say what you said? I said, because I believe that's what the Bible teaches. He said, then keep saying it. He said, don't water it down. God is no respecter of person in salvation, and He's no respecter of person in damnation. He is the God of judgment. Biblically speaking, let me remind you, all of us in one sense were bad fish. They not, didn't none of us come in this thing good fish. None of us come in here good fish. And if there's anybody here that got spared, and anybody here that makes the cut, anybody here that comes to Christ, it is because of the mercies of Almighty God. It's not because of anything you've done in this world or will ever do. All of us fall into this category in the parable of either wicked or just. And don't be confused. He's not talking about people that do good and people that do bad. This is the condition of a man's heart. Who is the just person? Who is this? Look at this in verse 49. So shall it be at the end of the world. The angels shall come forth and sever the wicked from among the just. Who are these just people that are going to be spared the judgment of Almighty God? The just person is the one who by God's mercy and God's undeserving, regenerating grace has understood that he was wicked and that he was determined to go to hell by his own plans and schemes, but was rescued from that by the amazing grace of God, has repented of his unbelief and has trusted in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That's who the just is. And all of that is on the basis of Christ's finished work and not ours. Who's the wicked? He's the person who knows he is a sinner and willfully remains in unbelief to his own condition. 
and to Christ's saving work. Both the wicked and the just live in this sea, live in this world. But there is coming a day of separation and judgment. We can drive home today and think we can pick them out ourselves. Well, that one is probably lost. He's sitting over here with a beer can and a ring in his ear and uh, looks like he hadn't bathed in a week or two. He's got to be wicked. And then we go by the church and the guy comes out with a white shirt, black tie, and a Bible and a hat. He's got to be saved. You don't have a clue. Neither do I. It is only God who knows the difference. And it is God who will separate, who will judge, who will bring this to pass. This net has a certain purpose. So does the kingdom of God. So does the gospel. This net has a certain capacity. So does the kingdom. So does the gospel. When it is, as the text says in verse 48, full, the fishing time must end. So it is with God's sovereign plan for the world. There is a measured number of people and a measured amount of time. And we talk about people and we talk about life in numbers and statistics that mean absolutely nothing to us. But listen to David in Psalm 139.16. He's praying and talking to God. Thine eyes did see my substance. Yet being unperfect and in thy book, in thy book all my members were written. My fingers, my, everything about me was written in your book which in continuance were fashioned when as yet there was none of them. David is saying, Lord, my life, my physical body, you fashioned it, you numbered it, it continues just along the line that you said it would continue, and you are in control of every bit of that. Don't tell me that you've never sat down and wondered why this person, died as an infant. Why this person lived to be a hundred. Why this person went through the... What you thought about those things. Just last weekend as I walked across a graveyard down in Kings Mountain to, uh, to, for the committal for Kim's aunt. It was an old section of the city cemetery. There it was. When I see those little markers with the little lambs on top from the older days, they don't do that as much now. But I knew there was an infant there. There was a baby there. And I stopped, and there it was. Same day of birth, same day of death. And I thought about what David said. You saw me. You saw my substance. You brought me in this world. And you knew exactly how long I would be here. And you knew all about me. Folks, we're not flying through here by, the, by our coattails. God's in charge of all of this. And there is a capacity to it. And there's a time limit to it. There'll be a day when this gospel will no longer be preached. And there'll be a day when come unto me will no longer be heralded. And there'll be a day when the invitation to be born from above will no longer exist. Jesus said in the parable of the dragnet, the kingdom of heaven is like that. It's like it's moving slowly and silently through the waters. And don't you be fooled today by what you see on the surface. And don't you get all bent out of shape over what's going on on the surface. 
I promise you on the authority of God's Word, thank God there's something moving through this culture silently, and it is moving through there slowly, and it is moving through here, and men don't even see it. But I promise you on the authority of God's Word while I'm preaching today, there is some soul somewhere who is coming to Christ, repenting and believing. Don't get upset by the numbers. Don't get upset by the statistics. Thank God of His kingdom, there shall be no end. There shall be no end. Separation and judgment. Measured time and measured life is not only for the just, but it's also for the wicked. Listen to Paul's words as we get ready to close here. Listen to Paul's words at Mars Hill. God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that He is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshipped with any man's Hands, have you heard that scripture? I read that earlier. Verse 26, And hath made of one blood all nations for men to dwell on the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed, and the bonds or the bounds of their habitation, that they should seek the Lord. You ought to call on Him today. You ought to seek His face. If you're listening to me by other means, and it's safe to do, if you're listening to me and you're driving, you ought to find a safe place, pull over, and bow your head and repent of unbelief and call on the name of the Lord. If you're sitting in here, I'd call on His name now. I'd ask Him to save me and make me a brand new creature in Christ. Judgment. A day of separation. The angels are going to come forth. According to Matthew 24, 31, the angels will gather God's elect from the four winds. That's what the text says. From one end of heaven to the other. And according to Matthew 24, 49, and 50, the angels will cast the wicked into the furnace of fire. Which brings me to my third and final point. There is a difference. And that difference is for all eternity. In the parable I've read this morning, those who have trusted Christ, those who are the just, will be in His perfect righteousness forever and forever. The wicked are those who have not trusted Christ, and according to our text today, they will live eternally in a furnace of fire, verse 50, where there is wailing and gnashing of teeth. Hell is a place of constant torment, misery, and the undiluted wrath of God. Listen to... Listen to John the Revelator described hell, Revelation 14, 11, Depart from me, the Lord will say, Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire, Matthew 25, 41. Now listen to John the Revelator, Revelation 14, 11, And the smoke of their torment ascended up forever and ever, and they have no rest day nor night, who worship the beast in his image, and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. The eternality of eternal punishment. You can't have an eternal heaven without an eternal hell. God would not be just. That would not be right. He's the great separator and the judge. The reality of hell and eternal torment is another truth that just shows the value, the blessing of being a citizen in the kingdom of God. 
if escape from torment were the only benefit of being in the kingdom of God, I'd still want to be in the kingdom of God. But that's not the only benefit. It's a good benefit, but that's not the main benefit. Jesus says in our text, when the gospel net is cast into the sea of this world, the message of the kingdom is preached in the sea of this world. It gathers fish of every kind, some righteous, some evil. It's always mixed, isn't it? Mixed catch, weeds, things that aren't edible, things that have to be cast aside because they're not right. And then he'll separate the goats and the sheep. But what distinguishes his people from all others is the God-given faith that he's given us to believe. God help any of us here today who think that we could have come up with this on our own or that we were somehow smart enough to figure out that we could be kept by our own doings. This is all because of His mercy and His grace. Now maybe this is just another Sunday morning for you. You came, you listened, you will leave. But in light of the parable of the dragnet, how, how can you just come and listen and leave? First of all, does this parable not cry out for those of us who are saved? Does it not cry out to us the great need to share the gospel, the great need to tell people about Christ? And secondly, does this parable not cry out for those listening this morning who are lost, you've never repented, you've never come to Christ? I think, I think it speaks to both of us. And maybe today you're not one who just came and listened and left. But maybe you'll be one who heard. Maybe you'll be one who heard. And the Word of God will make a difference in your heart and in your life. Because if you heard, if you really heard, and you're lost, you're going to find a place here, now, somewhere later today, and you're going to call upon the name of the Lord for saving grace. Hear the words of Isaiah. Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Now, if I were a normal evangelical pastor, I would have heads bowed, eyes closed. I'd ask for hands to be raised. I'd do all that stuff. And when that kind of net's thrown out, every now and then, somebody really is converted. But I'm a biblical pastor. I try to be as best I can. I want to be. I'm going to tell you something. If the plain Word of God and the Holy Ghost of God can't save you, nothing I do in theatrics is going to save you. It'll just make you feel better about going to hell. That's all that would do. Sitting right where you're sitting this morning, God can be merciful to you, a sinner. If you need to fall out in an aisle, if you need to bow somewhere in a classroom, if you need to go home today and take your spouse by the hand or go home today as a child and your mom and dad sit down with them with an open copy of God's Word and repent, do it for His glory and for His honor. The parable of the dragnet says this, there's a day of separation coming. 
and a day of judgment. And the only hope that we have is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. I can't think, honestly, I can't think of how I could have been raised any better than I was raised. Seriously. I thank God how my parents raised me. I never remember a week, I don't ever remember a time in my life when I was not under the teaching and preaching of the Word of God. I, it, my memory will not go there. Others of you come from different backgrounds. But I want to tell you, I could have lived trusting that and died and went to hell without God. Only Jesus makes the difference. Father, I want to thank you that you stood and Lord, you taught this that we've read this morning to your disciples. And you told them, Lord, that the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, was like men fishing with this large net. And while it made it sweep silently and slowly and undetected through the waters, and people didn't think it was doing anything, it was catching fish of every kind. And Lord, you've told us to leave those things alone until you sit in judgment, until you separate. You are a God of separation. And Lord, I thank you this morning that those of us here who are truly saved and those of us who are tired of the wickedness and the evil and the blasphemy and all the filth that goes with sin, we're so tired of being in it and among it and around it. Lord, we have the promise and we're encouraged today to know that the day's coming when all of that will be separated. But Lord, all of us here this morning know someone who's unprepared. People in our family, for some of us it's our children, for others our grandchildren, for others, Lord, it's our spouse, for others our neighbor, our co-worker, our friend that we've worked with for so long. Lord, help us. Lord, we don't have to be so dramatic and overbearing, but help us just to take the gospel Slowly and silently and truthfully, just take it through the waters and tell people what the gospel really is and who alone can really save. I pray you would work in this congregation here today and those that will be listening by other means, I pray you would work in that to your glory. Work in the hearts of our young people and children who have yet to believe and in the heart of the adult who may, for whatever reason, be unsure today biblically not by their feelings, but, but by the facts of the Word of God. And Lord, help them to make their calling and election sure this day. Thank you again for your great grace. And I want to thank you, Lord, that the separation is in your hands, the judgment is in your hands. And Lord, we can leave here today and know that when it all takes place, it will be done righteously. And Lord, we will stand on the shores of glory and shout hallelujah because everything you do is righteous and holy. But help us to live the faith and to be faithful to you. And Lord, I want to tell you again this morning, as best I know how, as humble as I know how, I want to tell you this morning that I love you. And I thank you for saving me. And I thank you for these that are sitting here that you have saved and brought out of the sea of sinfulness. Lord, we would have certainly been cast aside were it not for your grace. And Lord, I'm humbled by it. 
And help me today to care and love people. And Lord, to tell them the truth about the coming separation and the coming day of judgment. Thank you for who you are and for your amazing grace. In Jesus' name we pray and ask these things. Amen. Thank God for His truth this morning. I hope you are thankful that you are saved. And If you're not saved, call on Him. Call on Him. Ask Him to help you. If you need someone to pray with you or to take the Word of God and help you, ask someone. Ask me. Ask some of these men that know the Lord here. You say, well, I'm so ashamed. Don't be ashamed. Ethiopian eunuch had been up to Jerusalem for to worship. But riding home, reading Isaiah. Philip came and said, do you understand what you're reading? He said, how can I? Philip got up in the chariot with him and told him, this is talking about Christ and about you. Thank God and life can be brand new. Amen? Amen. Thank you for being here. Thank you for your prayers and attention to God's Word. Service this evening at 6. Pray one for another. You're at liberty.